Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. What are you good at? This morning, we're talking about talents. We're talking about abilities. So let's just get right to it. What are you good at? What are your talents and what are your abilities? If you check out your worship guide, there's a a sermon guide in there and there's two bullet points. There's two places in there uh, where I have left blank spaces where this morning I'm challenging you to write down, think up two things that you are good at, two talents that you have. I know this seems really overbearing. I can see a lot of you like squirming. So this is not the time for false humility. If you don't know what you're good at, ask the person next to you or raise your hand and ask me. Um, But maybe that's one way to think about it. Write down what you're good at. And if you don't know, think about this. Where has someone given me a compliment before? Or maybe what is something that I just have fun and just enjoy doing? I'm giving you some time right now, 30 seconds to write down two talents that you have. All right, that's time. Here's question number two. Do you get to do that? Take a look at the two things that you just wrote down. Do you get to do those things that you have a talent in? Do you get to do them in your professional life or your personal life? Throughout your professional career, have you gotten to do those things and develop them? Or maybe in your personal life, do you get to do them in your role as a mother or a father, as a friend or a neighbor, as a brother or a sister? Do you get to do them in your free time? Do you get to do those things maybe in social settings? Or how about this? Do you get to do them in the context of your faith family? It's an important question to consider, and it's an important question to ask because we right now live in a time and place where there's this sort of American ethos that says, if you want to be happy, if you want to live a fulfilled life, if you want to reach your potential, well, you have to know what you're good at. You have to know who you are, what personality set and type you have, and you have to find out what you're gifted towards, and then you have to do it. You have to do those things. How many of you have ever taken maybe uh, Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile or Strength Finders or the more popular as of recently, the Enneagram test? All of those make essentially the same promise. Those personality tests or gift assessment tests say, if you buy our product, if you take our test, you will engage on a lifelong journey to find out who you really are, to find out what gifts and talents you have. And the more you do that, well, the more freedom you'll experience, the more uh, fulfillment you'll experience in your work and in your home life, the better relationships you'll have in your marriage or at work, and life will be better. You will find more fulfillment and you will be happier because with this view of talents, well, it's the view that knowing them, growing in them, well, it helps you achieve your potential. 
Here's a question. What if you don't know what your talents are? Or maybe, what if you don't know if you're able to do them, or what if you're just not able to do them? Well, have no fear, because you're not alone. 70% of people surveyed um, in a widely done survey by the Gallup poll uh, found out that they don't get to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities they have in their everyday life. And what people ended up reporting was because of that, well, they feel unhappy, unfulfilled, and really disengaged with life. So what do you do? What do you do with the talents and the abilities that you have? What do you do? Do you take a a gift or a personality assessment and find out what you're doing? Well, a scientific analysis of those profiles, DISC, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, well, they show they're, they're not all that accurate in helping determine who you are and what you do best. You could take the same test one week, take it again uh, four weeks later, and get entirely different results. And what would end up happening then is, well, you would think that you're this idealized person, and then maybe you're this idealized person, or maybe you're a combination of all these ideal people, and you work to be that person, and, and you just can't be that person. Or maybe the, the assessment says you have this area uh, of weakness or area of growth to, to work on in your life. And you just pour into this area, working your hardest, but well, maybe a thousand years of work in this area of development wouldn't ever be enough to make you feel happy and fulfilled. Or maybe you take the personality profile and it says your person X, Y, or Z. And you live with a limited view that I am person X, Y, or Z, but really no one gift assessment can define who you are. You're much more broad in that. You are more complex, more beautifully complex than just one of 16 different profiles. Now, the very things that um, are supposed to help us determine who we are often don't. And for many people, 70% of people, the things that are supposed to make us feel fulfilled and give us this overwhelming sense of freedom and positivity, well, they can be a source of negativity in your life if you don't get to do them. The theory that knowing your talents, doing your talents, often results in achieving your potential, that it doesn't always work out in the way it's supposed to. This survey, it's it's called the General Social Survey, and it's one of the nation's longest running and most highly regarded public opinion research polls shows that Americans are every year growing more and more unhappy. The questionnaire is this, it's simple. On a scale of one to three, it asks the question, how happy are you? One means you're not very happy. Three means you are very happy. And, well, two then would be meaning you're just kind of happy. Americans, well, as of last year, um, scored on average a 2.16, meaning we're just above kind of happy. 
And you might say, well, that makes sense. The average day I feel kind of happy and maybe the average person feels kind of happy. But want to know what's striking in that? Over the time uh, of period where we've seen personality assessments come to be this thing that define who you are, and over the course of the last decade, the number of people who report being very unhappy has doubled. So how did we get there? How did we get to a point in our history where most people are unhappy? Well, it could be that the very thing that is supposed to result in us achieving our high potential, that is knowing our talents, actually results in more misery. Kind of a gloom and doom message to start out your Sunday morning worship. Thankfully, God's word has something to say about this very thing. And it speaks with remarkable clarity about you, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. Our lesson for this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. And you already knew this, but before Romans chapter 12 comes Romans 1 through 11. And in Romans 1 through 11, what the Apostle Paul does is lay out teachings, teachings of Christianity, all about what Christ taught his apostles and what he wants to pass on to the first church there in Rome. Chapter 12 starts a brand new uh, thrust or emphasis in the book of Romans. Now, the apostle Paul is saying, I'm going to take all of these teachings and I want to apply them to the Christian life. I want to apply them to you and how you live out of knowing the gospel, knowing all that Christ has done for you. And the apostle Paul starts out by talking about abilities, talents, gifts, things that each of us have been given by God. He essentially asks everybody, what are you good at? And that's where he picks it up today. But I want you to note how he talks about this. Here's what he says first. Verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And we've already noted what the pattern of this world is. It's one, identify what you like to do, what your talents, what your gifts are, and then you go focus on those things, develop those things, do those things, and you will be happier, more fulfilled, and live a more meaningful life. That's the pattern of this world. But think about that for a second. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you are a scientist, a psychologist, or just a pop psychologist, or a reader of these things, whether you're a business insider or a life coach, call it what you want, but self-assessment for the sake of self-awareness or the sake of self-betterment is, well, it's all selfishness. And That's what the Apostle Paul says next. He said, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think think of yourself more highly than you ought. You see, pride or arrogance isn't simply thinking highly of yourself, but it's also just thinking a lot about yourself. And sadly, that is what this 
American theory on self-development has us do. It turns us inward. It focuses on us. It focuses on me, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, and what they get me. More fulfillment, more potential, more opportunity, more happiness for me. And you see where this is going. What happens if you don't do any of that? Well, then it makes sense that what we experience is more misery, more not freedom, but oppressiveness, more more happiness, no, more guilt for not being the person that I'm supposed to be or doing the things that I think that type of person should be. Thankfully, Paul offers a, a different view on your gifts and your talents. This is what he says. He says this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So what's the lens through which we should view our talents and our abilities? It's mercy. It's God's mercy and it's God's grace. Let's step back and and just define those for a second. And maybe a comparison is helpful. What is mercy and what is grace? Well, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And grace is getting what we do not deserve. Let me put it like this. Mercy looks at us. It looks at all of the things that we have ever done or not done with our talents, with our abilities. And it looks at the pride, the pride that we have in ourselves, the pride that we've had using our gifts and using them better than the person sitting next to us. It looks at the the times where we've bragged that we have more, do more, play more than the next person. Mercy also looks at the selfishness with which we've used or not used our gifts. It looks at the times where we've been impatient and and didn't slow down to to share our gift with the person next to us. It looks at the times where we've been so selfish, so self-consumed, where kind of like Eeyore, we think, woe is me, I don't have any gifts, God doesn't care about me. And so you don't use the one, two, five gifts that he has given you just because you don't have seven, eight, or 10 gifts. What mercy does is it looks at all of those things that we've done with our gifts or failed to use our gifts. And what mercy says is this is sin. This is prideful sin and this is severe sin because this sin is sin that separates you from God. It's sin that that deserves God's wrath. And yet what mercy does is said, but you're not going to get that. In fact, you're not getting that even though you do deserve that because Christ has taken that punishment. And that's what grace is. Grace is Christ's perfection. It is his forgiveness, his love, his holiness, his purity, his goodness, his peace, his joy. Should I keep going? 
His stewardship, his kindness, his empathy, his leadership, his wisdom, all of these perfect gifts from God. And it is God looking at you and saying, here, this is yours. You say, well, I don't deserve all of that. He says, you're absolutely right. That's what grace is. It is freely, unconditionally giving the very things that we do not deserve. And it is in view of this. It is in view of God's mercy. It is in view of God's grace that Paul says, look at yourself. Look at your talents and your abilities and the things that you are good at. And when you do that, well, it's a tremendously humbling experience And at the very same time, it's an incredibly transformative experience. When you look at your life and you see that everything that I do deserve, all the bad, I'm not getting it. And you look at your life and you you see all of the good things that I do not deserve, I am getting in Christ Jesus. Well, it's humbling. It it humbles you in, in this way. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about that. When you look at your body and all that you are, your personality and and all your gifts, all the abilities that you are able to do, and and you realize, I'm borrowing all of this from God it humbles you to the point where you, you use it. How? As a sacrifice to him. And not a cold sacrifice that you just drop in a plate or not a dead sacrifice that it's killed on his altar. No, he describes it as a living sacrifice. He is a living, breathing sacrifice to God. And what's more, not only can we give that to God, but what does God say about this? It's pleasing. This brings me joy. God says, this makes me happy when you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities in this way. This is your true and proper worship. It is a life of worship. Your worship does not merely consist of coming here, sitting in comfy seats, singing fun songs, and hearing a message of the gospel. No, that's a good start to your true and proper worship, but it's not it. No, this this, your body, your life given to me as a living sacrifice, this is your true and proper worship. It's humbling. It's humbling to think we can please God in using his gifts that way. And it's also transformative. Thinking about gifts in that way gives us, well, a new mindset. Apostle Paul said, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thinking about your gifts and viewing them through the lens of the gospel, through God's grace and God's mercy means that your mind is transformed. You don't think according to the patterns of this world, but you think according to God's will. You, thinking this way, have the ability to test, to approve what God's good, perfect, pleasing, and holy will is for you and for all people. That's no small thing. That's no small thing. Viewing your talents as the key to achieving God's will, 
That's a big thing. And that's what God has given us to do. There's once a, a young man who was walking along and he came upon three other people who were all taking hammers and breaking rocks. He asked the first one, he said, well, what are you doing? And the first person looked up at him as though he were not intelligent. And he said, I'm breaking rocks with a hammer. He went to the second person and he said, well, what are you doing? He said, paying the bills. Went to the third person and he was doing the same thing as the first two. And he asked him, what are you doing? And this man took his hammer looked up at him, and with life and passion in his eyes, he said to him, I am building a cathedral. You think about those three people, those three men, all using plain tools, hammer and nails, doing a plain scale, breaking rocks. How is it that each one of them is able to describe what they're doing so differently. One describes it as menial task, breaking rocks. The other just describes what he's doing as a means to an end, making money. And the third person describes it with so much meaning, so much impact, so much joy. I'm building a cathedral. How can that be? Well, Paul explains it this way. He said, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Paul doesn't say never ever think of you, yourself, or what your gifts and abilities are. Have no thoughts about you. No, he says, just don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Instead, think of yourself this way, with sober judgment. That's one of my favorite phrases uh, in all of Scripture. What does it mean to think of yourself with sober judgment? Well, the word that's translated in English, two words, sober judgment, it's it's really just one in the Greek. It's sophroneo. It it means wise thinking. Uh, It means that as you think and you act, you you do so with wisdom. You, You don't Peter on the extremes from one end to the other, but there's a, there's a levelness about you. There's a clarity about you. And so apply that to yourself and your talents and your abilities. You look at the gifts that you've been given, the things that you have, and, and you don't think too highly of yourself, like you're all that and more. You don't think too lowly of yourself, like I'm dumb. I don't have things that I can do. No, God tells you, each and every one of you, he says in Romans, you all have been given gifts. You all have been given talents and abilities, and you all can use them as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to me. And it's with sober judgment that you can, well, think about your gifts and abilities and and realize some things that the people in this world just don't understand. Here's maybe two things. Here's the first one. The first is that my gifts aren't your gifts and your gifts aren't my gifts. And that's a good thing that, well, our gifts are different from one another and that's good for no other reason than this. God gave them to you. God gave you 
those gifts. This is what he said. He said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Think about that. Sober thinking says, I have some gifts, not all the gifts, and I have different gifts, different gifts than they have, and their gifts aren't mine, and my gifts aren't theirs, and yet our gifts are different for a purpose. Our gifts are given differently. Why? So that we form together, we fit together like a body, like the body of Christ. And just as though my body has a knee and an elbow and an ear and an eye. So this body, the body of Christ, needs all of those things to operate that way. That's freeing. That's liberating. That's fulfilling. To know that jealousy is gone, to know that competition's gone, that in the light of the gospel, viewing my talents and my gifts in the view of God's mercy, in the view of God's grace. I don't want what she has or, you know, get arrogant or cocky about what I have. No, these are from God, borrowed to give to him and to give to the people next to me. That's the next point. Sober thinking says that my gifts aren't my gifts and your gifts aren't your gifts. My gifts aren't for me, and your gifts aren't for you. Well, they're for each other, is the way Paul said it. He said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You think about that truth from God's word. I think this might be the hardest one to wrestle with in the culture we live in. In the age where there's this spirit of rugged individualism where if I know my gifts, I can achieve my potential. And if I just know what I do well, then I will be happy. Instead, God says, in, in view of my grace, in, in view of my mercy, no, your gifts aren't for you. I gave you your gifts for the people sitting next to you. And, and their gifts aren't just for them. Their gifts are they're for you. They're to serve you and, and to bless you. That's so the opposite. That's so countercultural. The world says your gifts are for you in achieving your potential. God says your gifts are not for you. Therefore, your neighbor, to bless them, to build them up for the common good. The common good of, of building God's church, for building his kingdom. I suppose it leaves just one question that is burning in all of your minds. As a Christian, as a person who has gifts and who knows God's grace and his mercy— Am I going to be someone who, well, plays on a golf team or plays on a NASCAR pit team? Let me explain to you why that is a burning question that I'm sure all of you were thinking. Um, first, check this. This is a golf team. And typically, a golf team operates in most competitions in this way. 
They all dress up, they all wear the same uniforms, and then they go out and they all do the exact same thing. They drive the ball, they use their irons on the fairway to hit the ball, they chip the ball, they putt the ball, and every individual does their own thing. At the end of the competition, they all come back, and after everyone did the exact same thing, did a round of golf, they add up their scores, and the team, the combined team score that has the best score wins. They're really not interdependent on one another. It's very much an independent game. You go out, golf your game, do your thing, worry about yourself, and hey, if our team as a combined hold does better than the other team, then we win. But there's no interdependence. There's no true unity that's, well, necessary to win. But consider a NASCAR pit team. There, in 12 seconds, Everyone on the team has a very distinct and a very different thing to do. There's the jack man. He goes out, jacks up the car, and then the guy comes out to change the tire. But he can't do the tire changing unless the tire carrier is with the tire. And the driver, you see him sitting in the car, he's ready to go and drive, but he can't do anything or go anywhere unless the fuel man comes and fuels his car. And in a very short amount of time, well, this team, very, very much interdependent on one another, very, very much depending on the person next to them doing their gift, using their gift, their talents and their abilities, well, in a very short amount of time, they go somewhere. They go somewhere quickly because there's unity with one another. And if the driver were to get jealous that he's not the jack man and the tire carrier were to get jealous and worry that he's not the fuel man and because of that not do their job, well, what would happen? <laughs> they wouldn't go anywhere. They'd lose. I think it's clear what type of team this church, this faith family wants to be. We want to go somewhere. We want to go somewhere on the mission that God has given us. And, and the only way to do that, the only way to go with that is by each person using their gifts, using their gifts in an interdependent way. First of all, depending on Christ Jesus, but also very much depending on themselves. And when we do, when we view our talents and abilities as, as the key to achieving God's will, well, it'll result in more. It'll result in more rest. It will result in more wisdom. It will result in more purpose. It will result in more community. And ultimately, it will result in more love, more people knowing about the love that they have in Christ Jesus, their Savior. And that's our mission. It's to be a place. It's to be a place for you and for those around you to know more of those things. The rest, the purpose, the wisdom, the community, and the love that they have in Christ. Before I say amen, there's probably one thing that you'll notice I didn't mention. It's a few verses that Paul recorded. We skipped them. And we skipped them on purpose. We skipped them because there, in a few verses, Paul mentions seven gifts, talents, abilities, and, well, he could have mentioned more, but he doesn't. We skipped them because we're not talking about your talents or your abilities today. If you want to talk more about those, you need to come to your life group this week. You can talk about them then. But we skipped them because the truth is God doesn't care what your gifts are. 
He does. He gave them to you. But what he cares most of all is, well, your attitude about them. Your attitude about the gifts that you have, that you recognize that every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect talent and ability that you have has been given to you for a purpose. And that is God deciding that he wanted you to have that ability and he wanted you to use it to give him glory and he wanted you to use it to build up his church, to be a blessing to others. And so now the only question that we have is, how are you using your borrowed talents? Amen.